Holy shit. Welcome to episode 43 of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. I hope we have some people coming into the chat. Oh, man. What an insane, absolutely fucking insane week it has been. Uh, if you guys follow me that don't know, I am a Libertarian National Committee uh, at-large representative and the Libertarian Party has lost its goddamn mind this week. It has been very insane. Uh, myself and my good friend Karen Ann Harlos have uh, undoubtedly exposed some serious corruption that has happened uh, between the chairman and a state affiliate uh, where they tried to illegally ur- usurp uh, an entire state affiliate away from uh, the Mises Caucus, who had taken over the entire board there. Uh, it has been very ugly. Our chair has resigned. One of the region reps has resigned. Uh, resigned. The Pragmatist Caucus has completely dissolved itself today after, uh, after five years of being a caucus in the, in the Libertarian Party. And now uh, members of the Libertarian National Committee are trying to get retribution against whistleblowers. Make no mistake, that is exactly what they are doing right now. They're going after Karen Ann Harlos to try and remove her as an LNC secretary, uh, and there's not a single doubt in my mind that I will be next. They will be coming for me <clears throat> next. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we were the loudest about the corruption. Um, we definitely had a hand in the people who resigned because they knew that their devious, shitty plans uh, had been exposed, um, and now bad people around the country who are either uh, pissants, uh, corrupt pissants or or absolute cowards are fighting against people who whistle blue corruption. So if you guys have uh, the chance, go email the uh, Libertarian Party reps. You can find that at the top of the LNC uh, page on at LP.org and let them know they're fucking up, man. Tell them. Tell them that, uh, that Karen Ann Harlos did her duty to protect an entire state affiliate from corruption and uh and she is getting absolutely screwed and no doubt they will come for me next but the important thing is is even if they are able to remove us uh come this time next year we will both be voted back into the board guaranteed not a single person that votes yes on our removal will be voted on the board so uh get radical join your state party become a delegate to reno in 2022 and tell the corrupt losers to get fucked Anyways, I hope you guys are having a wonderful Friday. I know I am. First day off. I'm getting three days off and we're on pretty stoked. Start off with some sponsors. Of course, we have Lorenzotti.coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Bring the taste of Italy home. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And my good friend, my partner in, in Break the Cycle, TopLobster.com, where you can get this awesome Dr. Ron Paul for Congress. 1974 shirt uh who does all the graphics for the thumbnails has become uh, uh absolute invaluable uh resource for the show go give them your money check out toplobster.com use btc at checkout for a 10 percent discount and executive producers of the show anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs yo these people are mises caucus in delaware not far from new hampshire dope people we had amy lapore on the show a couple weeks ago she's amazing go see what they can do for your business or your personal life Anyways, that said, I have an awesome show. We're probably going to cut into a lot of this shit about the LNC and, and the Libertarian Party, but uh, he is the author of a wonderful book called Second Story Work. He's also a Canadian, uh, so everyone put F in the chat for his terrible times over the last year. His name is Josh Sabolski. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, brother. How are you? 
Good, good. I, not a single A when you popped up, man. I was, I was all excited. I was like, he's going to bring the Canadian <laughs> tonight, man. Tonight. Oh, dude, I guarantee you I will say it a bunch of times and I will have no idea that I'm saying it. It's, it's like me with bro and hella and I, I get it, man. It's just part of who you are, man. Yeah, man. It's ingrained in my DNA. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's start off talking about your book a little bit, man. I, I've, I've been reading it. Uh, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it gets you going right at the beginning, right? I mean, as soon as the book starts out, uh, you're setting up the entire story. It's very, it, I mean, it really brings you into the book. You, you're very descriptive uh, about appearances, street names. I mean, everything is just right there. It brings you into the story. It shows you the story visually while you're reading it. What prompted you to write this book, man? Uh, well, a couple things, but I guess the, the biggest thing would have been uh, boredom, really. I was uh, So at the time I started writing the book, I actually started writing it in January of 2009, and I had no job, I was homeless, and I really didn't have a lot going on. Um, I, just fin- I just spent like a year trying to bust into the film industry in Vancouver. It hadn't gone well, and everybody knows what happened in 08. That affected Canada too, so... I found myself in a place where I couldn't get a job. I couldn't afford a place to live. So I was basically couch surfing and I was like, well, I got to fill my days. So I'm going to start just writing something. And I started to just write about what I saw, what was around me. And, you know, a lot of that stuff kind of snowballed. And eventually after about a year or two of just writing down what I had experienced in Vancouver, what I had seen around me, um, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to make it into a screenplay. So from there, I just started writing it out, just writing page after page. And I did that for about a year or two. It wasn't really going anywhere, so I put it down. And then in 2014, I ended up, um, I ruptured two discs in my back. And at the time, I literally had nothing to do. It was like sit on my couch and watch Fast and Furious movies. And that filled about a day. And I was like, what do I do with the rest of my life? And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife's like, why don't you like pick up your book and just try to write something? And this was in 2014 and that was what I did. So I spent the next basically like five years writing this thing and, you know, getting it edited and trying to go through the publishing process, which if you've watched Michael Malice at all in the last month or so, when he's talking about it, it is a terrible process to try to go through. So eventually I realized I'm gonna have to self publish and that's what brought me to, to actually releasing it. And that's where we are now. Sure, sure. And I explained it's pretty descriptive, but I mean, it's gritty. It's a gritty book. And, and in fact, that now that you bring up that, you know, you started writing as a screenplay, it makes a lot of sense because of how descriptive it is and how, how it kind of brings you to the visual aspect of what you're talking about. But it is gritty. I mean, there's drugs, there's violence, you know, robberies, all this stuff in there. It's, it's really, it, you know, I, I'm going to be honest, I have not finished the book yet. I tried to and then all this LNG shit started, but I've gotten pretty far through it. You know, uh, thankfully I have a lot of downtime when I'm at work, so I'm able to, to do some reading while I'm there. But um, what does the story mean to you? I mean, where, where did you where did you derive that from? So where I actually derived it from. So the reason I ended up couch surfing in Vancouver is I did have a place to live. I wasn't a total deadbeat out there. So um, I was living with a dude who was a friend. And basically, I went home for Christmas. So I grew up and live in Ottawa. So I went from Vancouver to Ottawa, which is a pretty long trip. So I went home for a couple weeks. And I came back and I walked into my apartment. And on our dining room table was like stacks of money. And beside it were stacks of like Coke and heroin and shit. And I was like, am I in the right apartment? Like, am I in the right place? And basically, like, I start like calling my roommate. I'm like, 
leaving a message after message, like, what happened? Like, where are you? Because he was supposed to pick me up at the airport. He didn't. So I cabbed back to our apartment, which I guess he wasn't banking on. So anyways, I basically like packed what I could at that point and just bounced. And then he ended up calling me a few hours later. He's like, yeah, dude, I lost my job. I joined a gang. I was like, oh, cool. (laughs) Great. That's awesome. I'm never going back to our apartment. Cool. So that was kind of what started. And then from there, that's where I had to start couch surfing because like I was supposed to have a job and I didn't. And it was pretty hard to get an apartment without a, you know, steady stream of income. So that was really what prompted it was I was like, what made him do that? Like, how did he feel so desperate that he needed to get into, you know, the game? And you having read the start of the book, you see that these guys can't afford their life. And that's what kind of pushes them into the criminal underworld, which Ultimately, that's where the story goes, and they just get deeper and deeper. And it's a lot in, I drew a lot of inspiration from Breaking Bad, where you kind of just dip your toes in the criminal underworld and it just kind of pulls you down. And then you're right in and you're up to your neck in it. And that's, that's sort of where it, the story started, and that's where it went. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm sorry. I don't know if you guys can, you can hear one of my kids screaming upstairs and I'm not sure why, but, uh, anyways, that, that I think I, this is 43 shows and no one's ever heard my kids screaming in the background. So I think we've done pretty well, especially with seven kids. You know what I mean? Uh, I was going to say, it's ironic cause don't you have 43 kids now? Yeah. So 40, 48, 49, something like that. I don't know. One for each episode, I think, but, uh, there you go. Yeah. yeah and then, and then they, yeah, it was like, it was like, uh, the, the, the guys, Derek and all the guys in the, in the book, they, they were on a good path. They were trying to go to film school and stuff like that. Right. And then, yeah. and, and then, uh, you know, just kind of wanted more. And then I think that what was Derek's breakup was kind of, kind of rough. And, um, yeah. so, so yeah, you know, but, but like I said, def- definitely great book. You guys should read it. Let's, let's talk about your trying to get this turned into a TV show. Yeah. Right. And, sure. Yeah, and and you got, you, it, it, when it comes to Canadian TV, you got big shoes to fill, man. You guys got trailer park boys. You know, uh, you got Letter Kenny. You got some great shows up there, right? So, well, Shits Creek. Yeah, Shits that's Creek. A, that's the big one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I forget that. I forgot that the big one now. The biggest one was the Trailer Park Boys, right? I mean, that was the biggest Canadian TV show for a long time, right? I would say so. Yeah, it's it's pretty huge. Longest running, for sure. Oh man, yeah, it must be like fourteen or fifteen seasons. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was it was getting up there with like the Simpsons at one point or something, but uh. Oh yeah, dude. So uh. Let's talk a little bit about the, what you've just started doing because I watched some of your videos that you've been making on YouTube for to try and get uh, noticed so that you could get you know this book turned into a TV show. What where did where did that inspiration come from? Yeah, so I, I haven't done one for a while. So I was trying to do um, seconds to work, and basically the idea was I made a list of people that I felt could help me make this this dream of turning my book into a TV series happen. So I I started down the list. Um, really, I got that inspiration from um, a filmmaker from Windsor, Ontario, which is like across the river from Detroit. Uh, and what he did is he basically did something similar called How Many Days. And he made a list of his biggest inspirations. And the idea was uh, he wanted to sit down and have dinner with them. And he got some big names to sit down and have dinner with them. He got like Kevin Smith. I think he got Jimmy World, the band, if you remember. Oh, wow. nice. um, yeah, like some pretty some pretty decent people. But he ended up turning that into uh, a music video career. So he was he started making music videos, and he made a whole bunch of third eye bi- third eye blind music videos. You'd know them from the Bay Area. I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he made a bunch of those, and they ended up moving to L.A. and he got to make uh, a feature called Scarehouse, which is like a horror movie. I think I've seen uh, I've seen that movie. Have you? I don't think it's I don't think it's that great. I, I personally haven't seen it. I'm pretty but. sure I watch it, but I watch a lot of obscure horror movies. I mean, horror movies are my shit. So. 
Oh, dude, we should maybe talk about that later. I yeah. like eighties horror movies. So do I. So, so uh, not to not to break you off, but uh, yesterday but. I was standing in line at uh, I think it was Casey's or something, and a guy walked in with a hat that said "Bad Taste" on it. And I was all, dude, I was like, you have a bad taste? Like, you, nobody knows the movie Bad Taste. Peter Jackson, the guy who made The Lord of the Rings, used to make really yeah. cheesy horror films in the 80s, and Bad Taste was one of them. And I was just blown away because no one, no one knows that movie, really. You know what I mean? So, anyways. No. There's a lot of good stuff coming out of Australia even now, film-wise. Yeah. I could talk about movies all day, to be honest with you. Same, um, same. But, but, but go back, please. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, so How Many Days was kind of my inspiration to make the to make these videos. And I was doing it till my computer blew up. And then now I have a new computer, so maybe I can start back up again. But yeah, the idea was trying to get people uh, who I think could help me involved. So I managed to get uh, – I got a band from Texas involved called Recent Rumors. Um, I like a lot of their music. I wanted it for the show. So – Uh, made some videos for them and they reached out and they're like yeah dude like absolutely you can use it and then uh one of my favorite movies ever is a movie from the 80s called miracle mile most people have never heard of it is that the is that the hockey movie no that's miracle miracle that's that's right right. yeah so miracle mile is like an 80s movie uh takes place in la it's like a apocalyptic kind of movie like nuclear war anyways um, the director of that, I made videos for him and he ended up reaching out to me and we had a talk for like two hours and he's like, dude, I, I can't get involved. Like I, I have so much going on. He's like, but feel free to bounce ideas. Or if you have like directions you want to go, feel free to reach out anytime, which was pretty cool for yeah. like a Hollywood director to do that. Like I'm a nobody from, you know, rural Canada. So like, what the hell does he care? But so yeah, that's what I've been trying to do, and uh, we'll see if we can make anything happen. But yeah, the idea is to try to make it into a Canadian television series. It's not easy. It is going to take a long time. I've been trying to make a TV show for 15 years, sure. And eventually, I gave up and was like, I'll just make a book, and we'll see if we turn it into anything. But well, you know, a lot, of, well a lot of the shows that are going to like Netflix these days and stuff. I mean, people are starting out as web web shows, like on YouTube or stuff like because you can make a whole web series on YouTube. You just got to fund it, right? That's the hard thing. So it could always be one of those things, too, where if it's not working out the way you want it to work out, you can just start the, you know, the, the, uh, what do they call that? The the Indiegogo or whatever and start raising money, make videos, you know what I mean? And, and then, you know, it's all, it's always another option, always another option. And I believe you have the fire to get this thing done and, and you have my help wherever you need it. You know that. But, uh, let's talk a little bit about Canada, man, you know? (laughs) Sure, dude. <laughs> sure. I'm like, I'm like super lucky to live where I live right now during all this shit. I mean, Iowa has been super, super easy about all this stuff. They had a mask mandate for like 32 days. Uh, they locked down for like a week and a half. Um, and that was it. I mean, now the governor's like come out completely against the mask mandate. In fact, she's made it illegal to have a mask mandate in the, in, in the state of Iowa. Um, she's pushed to, uh, say that she'll use executive action to make sure we can't have COVID passports here, stuff like that. But you're in Canada, man, and you're in Ottawa. So it's, it's gotta be, I don't know. I don't know. Is, is there a big difference when it comes to this thing, depending on where you live or is it so centralized that it doesn't matter? So yeah, it makes a huge difference depending on what province you're in. So for those who don't know, provinces are basically Canadian states, um, so where I live, Ontario, uh, Rob Ford's brother, if you remember Rob Ford, crack smoking Toronto mayor, his brother is actually our premier. So he kind of dictates what goes on in Ontario. Um, a lot of people talk about like Trudeau ruling with this like iron fist. He really doesn't have a say in what what the provinces do. Like he can federally allocate the money and things like that. But in terms of like forcing a province to lock down, he doesn't have the authority to do that. So 
uh, Doug Ford is actually a conservative. So he is a conservative premier. And he we had for quite a, quite a while, like a few months, we had the most authoritarian uh, lockdowns in North America, which is wild from a conservative. Sure. Um, and he's up for re-election next year, and he is probably going to get destroyed because conservatives are, have not been down with this whole thing, obviously. Um, so yeah, he and the funny thing is, um, so he he gets recommendations from his health officials, right? They're like, so basically, what happened in March is like they made recommendations. They're like, oh, you should shut down um, construction sites because there's a, there's been you know a ton of cases coming out of those. Shut down land development. And there was something else I'm forgetting. But anyways, and he was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, no, we're not going to do any of that. We're going to do this. And he did completely the opposite of what the health department told him to do. So not only did he piss off right-wingers, he pissed off left-wingers too. And then in April, he decided that golf was illegal. Golf and camping was illegal. And his health department officials are like, what? <laughs> What's going on? So for a span of like six weeks... I could take my golf clubs on a plane with 200 people and I could fly somewhere and go play golf, but I couldn't go to a field by myself with my golf clubs. That was illegal. That doesn't make any damn sense. It sounds like California, yeah. really. I mean, to be honest with you, they're arresting people on the beach out there by themselves surfing. So surfing in the ocean. I yeah. remember that by themselves, by themselves, like completely by themselves on like a cold day surfing. And they're like, you're yeah. under arrest. And you're like, what the, what the fuck is wrong with you people? I remember watching that and just being like, who's supporting this? Like, who's like, oh, this this makes total sense. No shit. But anyways, that's, that's what happened in Ontario. And what's funny is the most conservative um, province is Alberta. And that's where uh, libertarian leader Tim Moen lives in Alberta. And they also have a conservative premier, probably the most conservative in Canada. And he locked down super hard, too, which is going to be interesting when he's up for re-election because he is not going to be popular. And there is a huge liberty movement in Alberta. So the conservatives are very divided there. So it, it's going to be interesting what, yeah. what goes on out there, what happens here. But a lot of the other provinces, like the kind of north of you, like Manitoba, Saskatchewan, sure. they didn't really have much in the way of lockdowns. I had a friend who went out to Saskatchewan, and they're like, hey, you know, mask mandates here. Like, it's just a completely different world. It's a little, it's Similar a, to the states. I feel like it's a little more rural in that area, right? Like like Saskatchewan? I don't Saskatchewan, know. Saskatchewan, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, it's it's super, super rural. Like, you have to drive a long way to get really anywhere. It's, ve it's very flat sure, out there. Sure. It's, it's an interesting you should You should head north and go check out. Yeah, the, we, the we have been talking about it, like, wanting to go up to Canada just because it's, a, I mean, it's a quick drive through Minnesota. I mean, really, for us, you know, and. And, uh, and I think, I think we can hit the Canadian border in like five hours or six hours or five and a half hours. And there, it, and I'm looking on the map and I'm going, wow, all the stuff like North of Minnesota there is all, it looks like, you know, national forests and stuff. I'm like, yeah, hey, this could be really cool. And then she was talking about, I think Julie was talking about Thunder Bay and all that stuff. And, um, there, and then there's, there's one big city that's sort of North of us that we can make it to. Was it, was it Winnipeg? Is it Winnipeg? It might've been Winnipeg. Oh, the jets. Yeah. Uh, the Jets. The Jets. Well, you live in Ottawa. Are you? I mean, are you? And you're not a Senators fan at all. You don't even like the Sens at all. Not at all. No. Nope. We do appreciate. We did appreciate Eric Carlson though on the Sharks. Man, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, you know the Sens definitely uh, have had a hard time holding on to stars. I think quite a few of them ended up in in San Jose. Danny Heatley too years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We got Heatley too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And Heatley. Heater. He was one of the he was one of the best. It sucks being a Sharks fan. Let's just be honest, dude. Okay. It's like. You can never, ever, ever question my resolve to, uh, to, to, to the Sharks because we've been in the, I think there's six, 
Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. That's very nice of you. It's very nice of you. Oh, man. And it's Jones. Poor Jonesy. He's, he should be like a Hall of Fame. He should be a Hall of Fame uh, goalie. It's unfortunate. He has he has weeks where you're just like, man, this is the best goalie in all hockey. And then he has another week where you're just like, dude, get rid of him. He's, you know what I mean? But we talked yeah. a little bit about this, the hockey. But, yeah, I know. You're a, Pengs, you're a Penguins fan. I get it. I get it. I know. I know. You're, yeah, we... We had a good run in 2016 when we beat the Sharks in the uh, final. For bet those you, who don't I bet know, you did. I bet you did. I'll get rid of that for you. <laughs> at least, at least you're not a fucking uh, uh, Vegas Golden Knights fan, because then we couldn't even be friends. Like I just can't be friends with Knights fans at all, dude. It's so crazy what's happened in Vegas. Like I did not know if they'd take to hockey, and they have taken it. They've taken to it like it's insane, dude. Nowhere else is taken to an expansion team. It's, it's insane, wild. dude. Well, you know, it's like Vegas, anything they put in Vegas goes crazy. I mean, that's just how it is. It's Vegas. People are like, oh, we're going to go. You know, people, all the people who like the Vegas Golden Knights never followed hockey before before the Knights got there. I mean, that's, you know, for the most part. Some of them might have been like fans of, I don't know, some of the shitty teammates that they, they uh, players they have now. But the the big majority of people who, who go to Vegas Golden Knights uh, uh, games were not hockey fans before before VGK went to, to Vegas. There's going to be a lot of Raiders fans like that, you know what I mean, too. So uh, it's, just how, it's just how it is, man. And know. you aren't a Raiders fan, not. Right? being from from all, the Bay Area. That's all, surprising. I know all of my sports uh, teams are Bay Area, except for in football. But I do, you know, like, so if like the Cal, I'm a Cowboys fan. So like, if the Cowboys aren't playing, you know, in the playoffs, or or we're not, you know, they're not playing the Cowboys, I, I root for the Raiders, or I'll root for the Niners. Like, you know, in the in the Super Bowl recently when they're playing uh, Kansas City. I rooted for the Niners because, like, fuck, it's the hometown team. I mean, you know what I mean? I grew up I grew up 20 minutes from Oakland and, and 30 minutes from San Francisco. So, I mean, you yeah. know, but I'm a, I'm a diehard Oakland A's fan, diehard San Jose Sharks fan, and diehard uh, Golden State Warriors fan. And and people, a lot of people are like, oh, you're a fair-weather Golden State Warriors fan. I'm like, shut up. I waited 33 years to watch them win a championship. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, then but, you got a dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Now, now it's one of those teams. You know, it's like you you just never know they might. But um, but yeah, diehard Sharks fan. It's hard to do. At least you have a you have a cup not too not too far away, right? Yeah, two of them yeah. back to back. Yeah, yeah. What an I don't asshole. know if we'll get another one for a while, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. What an asshole. Anyways, <laughs> I got the hold on. I got the championship hat right here. I figured, oh, should I mail it Jesus. to you, no, or do you want to just wait till you we come got, up to Canada? We got plenty. We got plenty of toilet paper, eh? You know what I mean. <laughs> We got Costco oh, I like here. The, We're good. I like that you snuffed the A in. Yeah, yeah. That's cute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, hey, I, so, you know, if you're not a fan of hockey, um, if you're not a fan of hockey, this is just this is just normal in hockey. We just talk shit. That's what we do. Oh, yeah, chirps. It's Yeah, chir- you're chirping. It's, it's, it's funny because it's like in hockey, hockey is such a weird culture because, like, if, if it's like me and you and we, we hate, we, we appreciate different teams, right? We appreciate different hockey teams. We'll chirp and chirp and chirp and chirp. But as soon as somebody who doesn't appreciate hockey comes in and talks shit, we'll both fight them like at the same time. Oh yeah, it's just how without it is. a doubt. It's like the hockey hockey culture is family, but but you got to talk mad shit too. And I mean, it's literally there's like chance. If you've never been to a hockey game, go to a fucking hockey game, man. Absolutely, it's uh, it's amazing. It, it's like nothing else. But yeah, you're right. It is actually. You know what's funny is like speaking as a libertarian, a lot of hockey players like lean liberty. It's the way it is. Like it's just you know a lot of them. I don't know for whatever reason, but they do probably more so than any other sport too. Sure. sure. Well, you got Canadians who have lived under tyranny for a long time now and, uh, and, <laughs> and tons of Eastern Europeans, you know what I mean? Who came from like communists and countries and shit. It's true. So it's like, it's true. Of you course. Know, 
we were the freest country in the world up until like I don't know seven eight years ago. It's pretty I, insane. I, know I think it, we're like thirteenth now. It's really funny because socialists in America still point to that at, as like an argument. They're like they're like oh this was you know Canada's socialist state you know but they they're the, one of the freest countries in the in the world and I'm like no we're one of the freest yeah, countries in the world before they became a socialist state. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I think we're 13th now. I'm pretty sure last time I looked at the free market index, like the U S was 20th. I could be wrong about that, but it's some, something like that. But yeah, Canada's still 13th. We, uh, I mean, we were first probably 2012, 2013. Sure, yeah. It, was it has been insane to watch kind of it slip away a little bit. It's been, it's been weird for sure. 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 I got a super chat from, uh, uh, let's see, Jason Shirichio. I always forget how to say your last name, bud, but Jason, uh, who's a homie, he said he's doing good. What happened to Josh's hair? I got a haircut today. That's what happened to Josh's hair. Uh, and I was going to do my hair for the show, but dude, I have literally uh, this, this whole shit going on with the libertarian party right now. I haven't slept in three days, man. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even. I, and we had to do the show early tonight because the LNC meeting is tonight at eight o'clock, uh, my time. And so um, I, I was just exhausted, and uh, I, I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do my hair tonight, man. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the Libertarian Party in Canada. So Tim Moen is a, a fucking awesome dude. He's one of the coolest, hardest core chairman, presidents, whatever the hell you want to call him, of, the, of any Liberty Party in the in the world. I mean, the guy, the guy is tough he was a, like a firefighter he's yoked. Still is. yeah he's still a firefighter he's like yoked i mean he looks he's got a chiseled jaw i mean he's literally what the leader of a libertarian movement should look like but uh the liberty party doesn't get much it doesn't get much ground there in canada man what's going on no you're right tim's an awesome dude last time he i, I think he's been probably a year or two last time he was here we had beers yeah really good dude um yeah, he's a paramedic and a fireman, which is interesting. And it, I believe his wife is like an ER nurse. So like tough as nails, like really, you know, into the probably probably one of the grittiest jobs there is. I don't know. I, I really can't put my finger on why they the LP up here doesn't gain any traction. I he doesn't get any mainstream coverage whatsoever uh, up here. And I honestly think part of it is the way he looks and the way he speaks, because both of those things like he is a legitimate threat if he was to get platformed. True. Like if you were to put him on TV, people would look at him and and he's very well like he dresses like well, a he's like a Donis, well. dude. He's chiseled. Yeah, for real. Yeah. And he he talks like a normie. Like he is not like you or me. Uh, you know what I mean? Like he talks. He's very um, like I don't want to say soft spoken, but he's very proper. He speaks very well, and that is a legit threat. And I think that's the reason he doesn't get any traction. And because if he if he was a maniac, he probably would because they'd be like, look at this libertarian. What a maniac. And people would be like, oh, what a bunch of goofs or whatever. But they look at him and they're like, uh, people might actually He's not like, a goof. like this guy. No, they might be like, oh, this guy's, you know, well put together, saying some smart stuff. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, look into that a little bit more. So I think that's a big part of the problem. I really wish he was like dumber and uglier. Sure. <laughs> like, they'd they'd it, at least platform him. Yeah, maybe. Like, maybe if he, like, untucked his shirt, that might help. Like, just look like a bit of a slob. Maybe spilled some mustard on his suit jacket. Maybe, like, a, that would... maybe a boot on his head? Yeah, like, <laughs> that would that'd be good. Maybe if he, like, went, uh, shaved the top of his head into the horseshoe pattern, the George Costanza. Yeah. Like, maybe they'd be like, okay, maybe we'll put this guy on TV now. He's... But, yeah, no, he doesn't get any traction. And what really kills the LP up here, 
I'm sure a lot of Americans have heard about Maxime Bernier. He's yeah. the leader of a political party up here. He killed the LP. He really did. Um, so he was running for conservative leadership of the, of the federal party. He lost, and he was cheated out of it, basically. Um, so he lost. So he started his own party. And when he was leaving, he was looking at becoming the leader of the LP. And he basically, like, sucked them for everything they could. And then he started his own party. So he basically figured out how to run a party, how to, you know, get all your your money and your tax whatever credentials together to open up a party. And he went and did it. And he took a lot of LP candidates with him. So he really like ransacked the LP and they have not recovered. Yeah. Bernier's like, he's like pretty, uh, he's pretty far right. Right. Yeah. He'd, he'd be a populist, I would say. Sure. But he's a, he like, he, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong about this, but I think he's actually like been to Mises. Oh, okay. Okay. I know Tim, Tim sure. Mullen has as well. And uh, yeah. Tim, so my first funny story, my first run for chairman in 2017, 2018, uh, we had my uh, first live debate I had ever been in in my entire life, like legit, was at the national convention against Nicholas Sarwark, a two-term incumbent trial lawyer, right? And I'm <laughs> like a maintenance man from the West Coast. Uh-oh, we lost Cybulski. Let's see. Let's see if he comes back. Um, I don't know if he's coming back. We got the we got the Canadian. We must have got the Canadian. There it is. There he is. We got him back. I'm still here. No, you, know, you were frozen, and it was making the Skype noise, man. The, the trying to reconnect, but you're good now. You're good now. So, did you hear what I said? Can you hear me? You can't hear me. He can't hear me. Hello. Uh oh. Can you not hear me? Uh -oh. oh, we lost him totally. Oh no. Let's see if we can get him back. Here we go. Sorry. Are you back? Yeah. I'm back. All right, man. That was really that was really strange. Anyways, uh, did you hear what I was saying at all? You didn't hear me, did you? Yeah, you were talking about Tim Moen and for the first time you debated uh, Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. So we'll go back to that. So I. So this is the problem with the live show. It's the first time I've ever lost connection. By the way. It's Canadian. Ca too, Canadian Wi-Fi. We just got the internet last week. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I was gonna make a Canadian internet joke and I didn't. Oh. Anyways. Uh. So. So uh, Tim Moen was the was the debate moderator uh, for my first live debate, which was against a uh, two term incumbent trial lawyer. Uh, and I'm just this maintenance guy from the West Coast. And Tim was hilarious, man. So he was he definitely had been drinking some whiskey, I'm sure. But it was it was so funny, man. He he had me rolling on stage and, and I'm nervous. I mean, more nervous than I've probably ever been for almost anything. You know what I mean? And my yeah. hands are shaking. I'm trying to write notes. I'm like, oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to win this shit. I'm totally losing the debate. I'm getting fucking fried. And uh, and Tim's making me crack up on stage. I'm like, thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. But it's funny because I don't think, like, Tim's pretty, he's like a pretty hard right libertarian. And, and, uh, and like a Mises-style libertarian. And I don't think he liked Nick. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd be... I'd be surprised if he did knowing Tim like yeah like you say he's like he's a Rothbardian he's he's an ANCAP like I can't see him being down with that sure sure and did, there was the uh he I I made a I made a a meme a while back for Tim that he shared and it was uh, a picture of Justin Trudeau but it said uh um oh god what was it, it was he was making fun of him being uh um what's his name son you know Fidel Castro and Fidel it, Castro yeah because yeah. I used to call him Justin Castro all the time and uh Oh God! Uh, what was it? Don't be afraid to go back to being a teacher or some shit. Or I don't remember, but it was funny. And Tim shared it. But he dressed up as as Fidel Castro one year as Justin Trudeau as Fidel Castro, 
right? Yeah, Anyone? with baby, he had baby, ju- like baby, baby Fidel, Justin. Like saying it was baby Justin. Yeah. So, so <laughs> the leader of the Libertarian Party in Canada dressed up as as uh, Fidel Castro, holding a baby Justin Trudeau. It was probably the best Halloween costume maybe ever. It was. It was pretty damn good. So it was. What, it was pretty hilarious. What can, can what do you think Canadians can do, man? Oh man, I think. I think if I had the answer to that, we would have a lot more people screaming for liberty in this country. We are, we're in some trouble, to be honest with you, up in Canada. Um, there is a really strong push to go in a direction that's not going to be good for this country. And it's it's definitely a um, definitely something that's going on in the big centers. So like your Toronto, Vancouver. Oddly enough, like Ottawa is the capital of Canada and there is not a big push. Like Ottawa is not... You would think Ottawa would be a very left-wing city, but it is like very. It's probably it probably leans left a little bit, but it's pretty pretty center. Like the most, I would argue that the most um, libertarian politician is Pierre Polyver. Hi kids, do you like violence? Yeah. Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's T-S-I-D-P-O-D. Because the system is down and truth is taking over. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he is a conservative. But he was the uh, the finance watchdog for a while, and he's out of Ottawa. Like he got voted in the capital of Canada. So you'd you would think they'd be more left wing, but they're not. But I think as far as like pushing it in a direction of of liberty, I don't know what Canadians can really do. I think. They've kind of gotten misguided a little bit by by someone like Max Bernier, who's starting to pick up steam as a populist. And I really worry about Canada going in the Trump direction. Uh, like that just, scares me. Just the Overton window just swinging. Big time. Yeah, yeah. I worry about that because we do. I mean, Trudeau is, is very left. And right. I worry about us just going past any sense of like normalcy and going hard right. And there are a lot of pockets here in Canada where I could see us going hard right. And that's frightening because that is the last thing that we need. And I remember, uh, I think it was Jesse Kelly was on uh, part of the problem. And he was talking about like, I could see somebody like run on prisoning journalists. I could see that here, like some right winger running on prisoning journalists in like the next 10 years, because Canadians, a lot of Canadians hate the media here, hate oh, the mainstream oh, media. We, 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 your, your, your friends to the south hate the media too, buddy. And, the, and oh, I know you. Do. There's many journo's here who need to be uh, in prison soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would never go that far, but you know, like that was I started my career, like my working career was in journalism. I went to school for journalism. I've worked with probably the biggest Canadian journalists that there are, like the Washington reporter, the Canadian Washington reporter for the CBC. I went to school with her like we used to argue about politics when I was like 18 and yeah like she now is the the Washington reporter and like that's crazy to me years later but I left that business and I used to fight tooth and nail about of all things the Iraq war sure. back in like 03 and like I knew back then I'm like this is all BS like are you kidding me like nobody sees this and you would get media like 
reports and people wouldn't like question it at all. They'd be like, oh, well, they're saying this, so we'll report that. And it's like, shouldn't we actually like do some journalism here? Or are we just going to report what we're given? And that's really what journalism became at that point because it was just so easy to get information, even though it was wrong most of the time. But it's like, ah, oh, well, we can put it out. It's fine. We don't have to do any actual, you know, investigative work. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a wild time. So I left that business journalism. Like I still work in broadcasting, but I do hockey broadcasting. I'm not reporting the news or anything like good, that. I just good, good. There's yeah, nothing no, wrong with hockey no broadcasting. Things. Yeah, it's fun. That's a that's <laughs> honest work, buddy. It is honest work. Yeah, it's a good time. What got you? Into, yeah, reporting what, the news. No what, thanks. What got you into that, man? Where are you, where are you doing that at? I didn't even know you did that. Oh, you didn't know I did that? Yeah, man. Well, I mean, I've been locked down, so I haven't done it for like a year and a half. But uh, yeah, I started doing it when I was in high school. Um, that was what I like. That's what I wanted to do for a living was was be a sports broadcaster. So I started doing it in high school just as a volunteer, and then um, went to school. Came back a, year, a couple of years later, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to keep doing this?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." And I did it for a couple more years, and then you know I moved to Vancouver. I moved all around, and eventually I moved back to Ottawa. And that was in uh, it was in 2017 that they asked me to come back. They're like, "Oh, do you want to you want to start doing this?" And from there, I just built and moved up a league, and now I, I call games for a couple different teams. So it's a it's a lot of fun. It's basically like one step below the OHL that I call the That's, games for. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully maybe one day get to the OHL. We'll see. There's just so many leagues in hockey, dude. It's insane. Oh, it's crazy. It's so hard to keep it's... up with. I, I followed, uh, obviously, the NHL and then the AHL, obviously, because I like yeah. the Barracuda as well. And when I lived in Portland, Oregon, they had the WHL there, which uh, has the Winterhawks, which is a cool team to follow, too, if you guys are in the north in the northwest. Uh, the Winterhawks fun fun team to watch. They've won a lot of uh, championships, so – um, yeah, but then hockey. Yeah, then we moved here into Iowa, and there's like 25 leagues just in Iowa. No, no professional. Yeah. I mean, they have AHL. They had the the uh, the Iowa Wild. Wild Fern. Yeah, yeah, the farm team. Is in yeah, so we had the Iowa Wild here, which was closed down most of this last season uh, to us, and now it's open. Now, now it was open again, and then. Um, but we have this team, uh, the 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 Bucks, the Clive Bucks, Bucks and Ears, and they have this little uh, stadium just right up the street from us, man. And games are like. 12 bucks or eight bucks or something and man it was a blast going to watch these and these kids are you know 17 to 20 or whatever super yeah. young kids and they're, they're like 17 year olds fighting 20 year olds it's hilarious but i don't know i don't know why it's funny to me but uh it's a lot of fun man hockey hockey rules dude um it does it's it is really the the, the king of sports in my opinion and and i'm not even canadian yeah, it. Well, I mean, it is. The problem is the NHL is such a poorly run league. But hockey, I always say it's the best game and the worst league. Yeah, sure, sure. I get that. I, I definitely get that. But, yeah, and you guys up in Canada, I mean, I can only imagine how – you probably have like 25 hockey stadiums all around you everywhere you go. Yeah, where the Sens play, I was in like five minutes from my house. And then, I don't know, it's probably – in terms of arenas, there's probably 30 arenas within like a half an hour of me. Nice. That's there's a lot. Yeah, it is everywhere. Like ice time, ice time is not really an issue here, but everybody plays. So, you know, sometimes it can be depending on where you live. Sure. Sure. And everybody just plays hockey. I mean, it's like normal part of life. Probably, probably like us in football, you guys just play hockey. That's true. Like that's a pretty good comparison, but like it's winter here eight months of the year. So you, I mean, we get like cottage weather and stuff like that. Like we haven't even opened our cottage yet. We're going to open it on July 1st and it'll probably be shut down by like mid September, sure, like sure. to swimming and stuff like that. Well, we you guys, like two months. You, you guys are crazy. You're like, Oh, it's negative 40. Let's go outside and play hockey. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> like go play on an ODR. Yeah. 
I can't yeah. even barely survive when it's it got like negative twenty, and then like with the wind chill it was negative forty here, like one day, and I was like the most painful thing. <laughs> I was like my nose hairs froze. I was like I can't stand this shit. I can't even. I don't know how you guys do it. I uh, well, I mean, I grew up in it, so I'm pretty used to it. But like when I lived north of Thunder Bay, I lived five hours north of Thunder Bay, and at one point we were shooting a film up there, and it was. It was minus 63 Celsius. Uh, Celsius. I don't know what that transfers to to Fahrenheit, but it was damn cold. The the film in the camera actually froze and it stopped rotating. My, That's how uh, cold it was. My so I have I I've tried to start the 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 winter here out with just a shovel. I was like I got this. It's, you know I'll just shovel the snow, no problem. And my first day that it had a big snow it was about six inches six inches of snow. Of course I'm freaking out because it's a lot of snow to me, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I run out there and I'm shoveling it with shorts on and like my boots and like a parka and I'm like, Oh, I'm freezing. You know, and with a couple of times of doing that, I finally was like, okay, we need a snowblower. I can't do this without a snowblower. So oh, the, yeah. next, the next door neighbor was nice enough to, he's like, I got an old snowblower. It's one of those big ones that are heavy duty. It's got like four gears on it and drives itself. I'm like, great. So I'm snow blowing and I put it in the garage and then I go back in the house. I'm like, that's in the garage, whatever. Well, it's got a, a second stage on it that spins inside. Froze up on me. Oh, really? Completely froze up on me. I wasn't even able to pull cord anymore for the rest of the season. So I'm back out there shoveling. (laughs) So I finally realized what it was and and was able to get it melted off and and use it again. But, man, it's cold. I just I'm not used to that for California. You know, anything under 60 is cold. Yeah, dude, I've never been to California, so I can't uh, I can't relate. But I remember going to Florida and coming back from Florida to Canada. And I was like. It took me like a few days to get used to it, and I, I've grown up with this stuff for 35 years. And yeah, it's it's definitely a shock to the system. But yeah, I keep it's telling, not so bad. I keep telling sure. Julia we're uh, we're retiring to Florida for sure. I need that hot humidity in the beach, man. You know what I mean? Uh, I tell my wife that too. It's nice there. It's nice there. Okay, we're we're getting we're getting close here, but let's talk about the American Libertarian Party because you're an outsider. But you're you're involved with a lot of people who do liberty in the United States. So you know a lot about what's going on uh, with the Libertarian mm-hmm. National Committee. Um, and for you guys that are watching, I kind of explained it at the beginning. This is what's going on right now. I'm going to explain. I'm going to break it down. And then we're going to hear from a Canadian outsider about what his thoughts are on this. But uh, I'm a Libertarian National Committee at-large representative. This is my second term. Uh, what that means is I serve the entire national body, all members. I'm an at-large rep. I represent everybody in the party. There's five of us. And then there's region reps, too. There's eight region reps. So they only represent their respective regions. Uh, there's a, a New Hampshire state party who – so there's the caucus, the Mises caucus. It's uh, been doing really well. It's taken over about 25 state boards throughout the country. Uh, I'm a fan of the Mises caucus. I'm a fan of the Mises ideology. Uh, and, and so people were starting to get a little worried and something happened in New Hampshire that we as a caucus decided we would support a chair lady, uh, named Gilletta Jarvis, who was not Mises caucus, not even really Mises caucus friendly, but it was kind of an olive branch. Okay. We're going to take this whole board, but we'll make a non Mises person, the chair, uh, to show our, you know, solidarity with the other members of the, of the state. And what did that do? They stabbed the, she stabbed him in the back. What she did was she, she took off, she made a rogue state party, uh, took all of the, the, the digital assets and, and and some of the people in the party took some of the hard assets as well out of a dry storage um, and then got a letter from our chairman saying that she was the, the chair and whatever party she led was the party in New Hampshire, effectively kicking every single New Hampshire party member out of the party. Well, me and Karen Ann were not going to deal with this shit. We were very, very upset. And so uh, we we uh, we decided to raise a stink. We're going to we're going to call out this corruption. 
And uh, eventually, some things led to people resigning. I mean, literally, a uh, region rep resigned after he found out that his, uh, his region was uh, taking a vote to recall him because he had voted to disaffiliate the New Hampshire party. Our chairman, Joe Bishop Henchman, resigned today. Uh, in fact, the digital assets were returned yesterday after I made a motion to uh, release all correspondence from our chairman to anybody in New Hampshire over the last six months. Um, Within an hour of making that motion, all of our uh, all of the digital assets was removed was, were returned to the rightful New Hampshire Party. Now today, uh, after all of this is going on, the National Committee is starting to go after Karen Ann Harlos, who has been very very loud about this. What's going on? They are trying to remove her from the Libertarian National Committee today. Uh, they made a motion for that. Make no doubt. Remember, make make. There is no doubt whatsoever that the next motion they make will be for me. Because I have not been nice about it. And I'm not going to be nice about it. And uh, what they don't understand is uh, uh, this is political suicide for them. The Mises Caucus has already taken over 25 state boards. And we still have a whole other convention season to go before the national convention next year. Okay? We will take more boards. We will have more delegates than you. So I have made a promise that if they kick Karen Ann Harlos off, and then me too, but even just Karen Ann Harlos, nobody who votes yes on that, on that, that motion will be on the board next year. Nobody. And me and Karen and Harlos will be revoted back in come next June or July when the national convention is. Without a doubt, it will be very easy for us to walk in there and get the votes that we need to get back on the board. And not a single yes vote will be returning to that board. So that's where we're at today. Uh, we have an LNC meeting here in about 45 minutes. That's why I did the show early tonight. Josh, what is your uh, take on all this drama going on in the party, buddy? Well, uh, in case anyone was wondering where I stand, if you do read my book, Second Story Work, you'll notice in the thank you section that I thank the LPMC and I thank you and I also thank Michael Heiss. Yeah, that was uh, one of one of the first shout outs I ever got in somebody's book, man. It was very, very nice of you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So that kind of tells you where I stand because Joe and the, the other crew didn't exactly make it in there. So, um, yeah, I'm a I'm a fan. I've been in that Facebook group for quite a while. Um, and followed it kind of from the inside, outside, because I am a Canadian. Yeah, it's. Uh, I kind of wondered if something would happen about a week ago when they were starting to tweet out, like the the official party um, for New Hampshire, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, when they started tweeting out some of that, kind of following what Reed was doing, Reed, Reed Coverdale, where it was like just tweeting out sort of nonsense. And uh, like these really blue pill, blue pill takes, I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. Like something's going to happen here. And I kind of like, you know, that there's that guy, the meme where he's like holding the popcorn and like watching and getting all excited for a fight. That was literally me. And then I started hearing trickles of it and like see, seeing it on your page and stuff like that and watching it unfold. And it, I never thought that Joe would get tied into this. I never expected that because I either thought he would have the sense to like shade himself well enough from it or just not get involved in it at all. But that really shocked me that it became so obvious so fast that, you know, he was involved. And now this stuff with, uh, with obviously yourself and, um, uh, I always forget how to say her name, Karen, Ann. Karen, Ann. Karen yeah, Ann. you have to say yeah. the Ann part. She doesn't like to be called Karen. So I always, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't blame her. I always remember the first time I saw her, I think it was on part of the problem. And I was like, she seems like a sweet lady. And now I'm just like, she's fiery. Like, I don't want to, she is so fire. I'm like, I don't want to 
I don't want to get on her bad side. I have, <laughs> I have never I mean? seen Karen Ann fight for anything, anything except for truth and justice all the time and transparency. Always. These people who are attacking her are, are like I said in the beginning, they're either corrupt pissants or they're fucking cowards. Period. Plain and simple. I've never seen her fight for anything except for truth and justice and liberty in the Libertarian Party. That's it. So. Yeah, and you, you bring up the point of like them trying to remove her. Like That really is like the death nail for them because – They've pushed so many people to the Mises caucus, like so many people, and they're pushing Spike t- towards it too. Oh, like Spike Cohen. We're the reason He's Spike like Cohen right got back. his V. We are the reason why Spike Cohen got the VP nomination. I mean, that's there is no no doubt in my mind. Uh, I helped to whip the Mises caucus, and Michael Heiss helped to whip, whip the Mises caucus as a show of unity to yeah. to get Spike the VP nod. Uh, Spike it has, I mean, he is definitely cool with the Mises Caucus. There's no doubt about it. And he knows 100%. That a lot of the shit that people say about the Mises Caucus is, is fucking false. He knows that. Yeah. So. And Spike is so good at like, like playing the middle, but now he's, he's not like, I read his tweets, you know, going through his statements and stuff and you see, and people like him and Amash and, and all of them, it's going to push them like towards the LPMC. Like that's what they're doing. It's it's like when you have a kid, you know this better than anybody. If you have a kid and you try to parent that kid with force, you are going to push them away. But, you know, if you kind of try to be agreeable and like just, you know, be nice, play nice, get along, you have a much better chance of, you know, actually parenting them and developing a relationship with them. But th- this other side has no interest in doing that. It's just they they hate everyone, every meacock. They hate them. They don't want nothing to do with them, and they'll do anything to destroy them, and it's going to cost them, and it's that's de- going to be the end. They've of destroyed it. Like themselves in the in the in the meantime. I mean, that's what happened. They dissolved the Libertarian Party Pragmatist Caucus today. Uh, two of two of the Pragmatist Caucus board members dropped off the board. It is the death knell of a dying breed, is what's going on right now. They tried and tried and tried to call us Nazis, to call us homophobic, to call us transphobic. They tried and tried and tried to get the entire party to think all these terrible things about us, but we never stopped fighting. We just kept yeah. going. We fought harder and harder and harder. And the more they fought against us, the more radicalized we became to the point of where now we own 25 per, or 25 state boards. You know what I mean? And they can't stop us anymore. And we told them this four years ago. You, you will work with you or you guys can work against us. We gave them the opportunity and they decided to work against us because they hated the name Mises so much, because they hated Rothbard, because they hated the Mises Institute so much. They decided to fight against us and they lost and they know they lost. So on the way out the door, they're salting the earth and burning the house because they don't give a shit about this party. They gave a shit about their positions of power and that's it. And now that they're losing their positions of power, they're leaving like cowards and they're trying to take everyone down with them. And that's where we're at today. It sucks. And, and even even someone in snowy, white North Canada <laughs> can look yeah. around and tell. Yeah, you know, it's wild. Do you remember, uh, I was probably like two or three years ago when Jeff Dice gave this speech and he, met, he made mention of like blood and soil. Oh, yeah. And they like, they lost their minds. And then Dave had to basically dedicate an entire part of the problem episode to it to just be like, like you're, you're taking this out of context. And, you know, that's not what he said. And he kind of broke down the speech and like what Jeff said. And then he had Jeff on the show to like talk about it or whatever. That moment and them doing that, that's what they've done with every single thing that comes out of like Michael Heiss, comes out of Dave, comes out of Tom Woods, comes out of you, comes out of Diced too, like comes out of any of them. They they attack it with like, and it doesn't matter what you say. 
you could come walk outside and be like the sky is blue and they would attack something about that like, like I don't know oh, what sounds sounds like you're a nazi yeah yeah oh you're pointing up sounds like you're a nazi. yeah you know yeah. who else pointed up hitler yeah yeah, that's you and him, eh? Just like this. That's yeah. literally how it is, man. And I'm, I'm I fired up. And and you know what? If they remove me, fuck them. They're pissant, coward, corruption breeding p- pieces of shit. Like I don't care. Like I'm fucking mad, right? Like you could use a vacation though. Yeah. Take a year off, come yeah. back more fired up. I'll right show here. up to fucking Reno with with a thousand motherfuckers that are gonna go. You know what? You're all done. You're all done. That's what that's yeah. what's gonna come down to. And I don't care. Like I don't even care at this point. Like we exposed the corruption, and they're they're getting retribution by kicking us off the LNC as their last stand in the Libertarian Party. That's it. It's over after that. Even if you kick me off the board, you're still done, because yeah. we're gonna walk into the national convention in 2020 in Reno at the Golden Nugget and tell you to get fucked. Yeah. Anyways, buddy, where can these wonderful people watching the show find you? How can they buy your book? How can they how can they support Josh? Cybulski, the author. Yeah, dude. Well, I mean, you can buy the book on Amazon. It's available there now. Um, as far as where can you find me, you can find me on the Twitter, uh, author Josh Cybulski. I think it's at Cybulski underscore Josh. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram. I'm not great at Instagram, but also author Josh Cybulski. And then I've got a Facebook group and author Josh Cybulski. <laughs> That's it. That's all my social media. Awesome. Awesome. The book is called Second Story Work. Go to Amazon and find it now. Buy it. Uh, it's good, man. What I've read of it is good. I will finish it. I promise you. And when it's a move, when it's a TV show, and you're famous, and everyone knows who you are, you better be coming back on Break the Cycle, buddy. Absolutely, dude. I don't know how Hollywood would appreciate that, but uh, you know, hopefully oh. by then I can do what I want. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate you. Uh, I hope everyone goes and follows Josh and and becomes a supporter and a fan. Because maybe in another 25 years, he'll write another book for us. <laughs> hey, I got another one coming out. I promise it won't be 25 years, maybe like five years. Nice, nice. Hey, man, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, dude. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Another awesome episode of Break the Cycle. Josh is just the coolest guy, man. Seriously, go follow him. Go buy his book. I know somebody else uh, from my Instagram today went and bought his book after they saw the, the posting. So I'm stoked to, that people are buying it and they're going to read it. Give it a chance. It's, it's, it's actually, it's, a, it's fiction. It, it does talk a little bit about, you know, anti-state sentiments, which is kind of cool. So go check it out. Buy it on Amazon. It's not expensive. I think Michael, I think Michael Malice's book is a lot more expensive. So go buy Josh's book. Uh, anyways, coming up next week, what, who do we have on the show? I haven't, I haven't got uh, the thumbnails up. But I will tell you that next week, uh, we're going to have three shows. Wednesday, I'm off. Uh, I'm going to a Father's Day barbecue with my neighbor. He's really, really cool. But uh, I'm going to have Lou Perez on the show on Monday. Comedian from New York. He's hilarious. Uh, He used to work with the Impractical Joker, so that's going to be really cool. Uh, On Tuesday, we're going to have Carlin Borisenko. Uh, she's a big, she's a, a organiz, organizational uh, psychologist. She's also part of the New Hampshire State Libertarian Party, who's been very, very amped up. Uh, she's a big part of the walkaway movement from the Democrats as well. It's going to be really cool. And then on Friday, we're going to have the great Maz Ture, which is going to be awesome. So definitely smash that subscribe and like button. Give me all the follows. Check out my sponsors, Coffee for all your delicious Italian coffee needs delivered directly to your door. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Check out TopLobster.com, my homie, my friend, where you can get this awesome old school Dr. Ron Paul for Congress shirt and so many other cool pieces of gear. Uh, We just put out a really awesome shirt that has the, uh, uh, it could have been different 
It's a version of me holding a cigar, sitting in a king's uh, chair. It's pretty awesome. Use BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. And, of course, anthemplanning.com for all your wonderful emergency and crisis planning needs. These people are doing a job the government sucks at. Go use them. Find out what they can do for you. Guys, check out the Patreon. It's good stuff, I promise you. We've got some really cool tiers there. Uh, when you become a patron and you get into the Discord chat, which has uh, about 60 people in it now, really cool people, even Angela McArdle's in there, uh, you get 30% discounts on new top lobster gear two weeks before it gets uh, let out to the general population. Pretty cool stuff. So check out patreon.com backslash breakthecyclejs. Same thing on Subscribestar. Or you can join the page as uh, our new member tonight did. Michael uh, Dinos, thank you so much for joining the memberships of YouTube for us. You can find that right underneath my videos if you're logged into Google. Uh, that will give you some really cool uh, hand-drawn badges by Top Lobster. And, of course, uh, coming soon, you will have custom emojis drawn by him as well that you can use in this fire live chat that we have all the time. I will see you guys on Monday for the show with Lou Perez. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. to explain the lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the person of the frame but i just landed in minecraft the helicopter part was in reference to gta 5 and the things you do so any violence you commit i am not an excuse because i just landed in minecraft what chipper is my friend and he's constantly cold accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just landed in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless there's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft There's nothing I mean, you